If we haven't met before and you didn't just see it on the video, my name is Ashley and I'm the lead pastor here. And I am so honored to welcome you to our final installment of Connect the Dots. And this series has all been about human relationships, connections, and we like to say, even in the lonely nights together, we can be beautiful constellations. And today we're talking about relationships. We can't have a, a whole series on human connection without actually talking about who we connect with. If you were at Impact Night, this is actually part two of that message. Make some noise if you were at Impact Night. Come on. Impact Night is the place where everyone on an Impact team is developed. They get to hear an exclusive message. We celebrate life change together and we connect. And if you're not on an Impact team, we would love to invite you to our next Impact Night. It's for everyone to get connected. There's a place for you and it's happening on May the 4th and it's Star Wars themed. We're saying may the 4th be with you. Bring your Star Wars gear, wear your t-shirt. I ordered a Queen Amidala costume. I'm excited about it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we can't wait. So you can use the QR code on the screen to say that you'll be there. We are created for connection. We crave connection. We crave someone knowing our soul. We love when people know us. But we tend to drift towards isolation. And Proverbs 18.1 says, He who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. When you choose to isolate yourself, man, it's not good. And we all know what it's like to be isolated. We all experienced that during COVID when we were isolated for two weeks and then it turned into a few months and you know that whole season. When you're isolated, there's no one to help you get out of yourself and to get out of your own thoughts and what's right in front of you. There's no one to call you to hire. Um, in the early 1900s, they had babies that were in institutions, they were in like group homes, and there weren't enough people to take care of them. So they basically had them lay in their little cribs all day next to each other, and they would feed them, you know, they would change them, but they did not connect with them. And what they found is that so many of those babies died because they didn't thrive, they had no connections. Even when we connect with God, we still need human relationships. We need connections. And we talked about that at the beginning of this series. Adam was alone in the garden with God, and it was paradise. And he had lots of great food. He had purpose. But God said, it is not good. It was not good for him to be alone. So God created Eve. That's because you can't get from God what you should get from people. Just like you can't get from people, well, only God can give. We all have relational needs that God designed to be met and enjoyed through human connection. And if we don't have those connections, we are missing out on a thriving life. And I'm not just talking about seeing people at church on a Sunday morning, that's good, or being friends with people at work, your coworkers, or going to school or part of a family, but the kind of relationships where you can call on people when you have a need, where you can text people when you're at the ER with your child late at night and say, will you pray for me? Relationships where people show up for your big presentation at work just to support you. Even if they don't work at your work, they're just like, hey, I'm your biggest fan. I'm excited for your presentation today. It's possible to be friends with a lot of people but still feel isolated. It's possible to be standing in a sea of people and still feel alone. Uh, studies show that being in overcrowded environments increase loneliness by 40%. 
Researchers found that people in cities were more lonely than people in rural areas because they were surrounded by lots of connections, but not actually connecting with anyone. We need meaningful relationships. And not just one meaningful relationship either. That's a lot of pressure to put on one person. If you want to succeed, you need many relationships, with each bringing different dynamics to your life, different personalities, different backgrounds, different perspectives. It's so good. Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So when we make decisions all by ourselves, they can tend to fail. But when we have people giving us advice, people speaking into our life, we're more likely to succeed. If you're married, you need your spouse. You need different things from them than you need from your friends. You've got a physical and emotional connection there that no one else can touch. You don't have that with anyone else. At the same time, you need friends. Friendship doesn't replace the intimacy of marriage, but it does help to support your marriage. My husband's a great man, but there are some things that I do with my girlfriends that I don't expect him to be. I don't take him to get a pedicure with me. He would hate that. He doesn't take me golfing. I mean, he took me one time, but he doesn't take me anymore. There's a reason. This isn't to say we shouldn't share our hobbies with our spouse, but there are some things that you're better off sharing with those who also find them fascinating. It's okay that you're different from your spouse. It's good. You need friends. If you're married, you need your spouse, and you need family. Um, hello, without parents, we would not exist. And if you are blessed to have a healthy family, they're an asset to your life. Everybody needs somebody, and somebody needs you. Everybody needs somebody, and somebody needs you in their life. Someone is waiting on you right now. And right now, you are one friend away from a better marriage. You're one hope group away from overcoming that addiction that you've been fighting by yourself. Come on, you are one conversation away from getting in better shape. And you are one mentor away from exercising your gifts and becoming a better leader, becoming who you were created to be. There was this boy who was born over 200 years ago in 1642, and he was born on Christmas Day, and he was born prematurely. So in those days, obviously, medical care was bad, so it's a miracle that he survived. But he grew, and he was sick a lot. He was very weak because of his early years. Um, his father had passed away when his mom, before his mom gave birth to him. So he's, he's born to this mom, she's 19 years old, and her husband had died, and now she's trying to provide for this little one all by herself in 1642 when there were not a lot of options for women to provide. So they were living in poverty, and she had a little help from her parents, but it didn't look good. And then a priest came from a neighboring town, and he actually proposed to the mom so there was hope. The priest was 70 years old, and he did not want to be a father to a three-year-old, which is super sad. And so the mom had to decide, do you want to choose my son or the promise of maybe a better life, security for me? And she chose the priest instead of her son. And so at three years old, the boy was sent to live with his grandparents. And he was young, but he understood that his mom had abandoned him that she didn't choose him, that she had rejected him. And he would later write in life that he would go by her house every day, and he would sit there and be so angry at her for rejecting him. And he would be so angry at the priest 
for taking his mom away. And he would be so angry at God, God who was represented by the priest. If this man could do that, then God must not be good either. And this little boy, he started going to school eventually. And at school, he was angry. And so understandably, he was bullying the other kids. Nobody wanted to be around him. He didn't apply himself in his schoolwork because he was angry. And teachers started to say over him he was lazy, that he wouldn't learn, that he was good for nothing. Lazy, wouldn't learn, good for nothing. And that's what they spoke over him. Until one day, a teacher came from another town. And this teacher knew Jesus. And this teacher saw that boy, and he loved that boy. He saw that boy, and he saw the potential in him. And he started to invest in him. And he started to tutor him. And he started to pray for that boy. And weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. And that boy's heart began to open, all because of one human connection. Come on. One person who believed in him. One person who loved him. One person who invested in him. And the teacher realized the boy was not lazy. He was actually really smart. And it wasn't long before other people realized that too. The students in the school, the people in the town. So that by the time he graduated, they sponsored him to go to Cambridge. So he went to college. And people at college started to see, wow, this guy is special. And people in their city started to see, there is something different about this guy. And people in their country started to see, and he became famous until he was known across the world. He invented the reflecting telescope. He uh, came up with the theories of light and color. He discovered calculus and the laws of motion. He discovered gravity. And today he's known throughout the world as Sir Isaac Newton. He's one of the greatest scientists in history. And when he died, on his tomb was inscribed, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to the divine. Mortals rejoice that such an ornamental humanity existed. Wow, how's that for an epitaph? <laughs> so ornate. But it's amazing. He went from lazy, won't learn, good for nothing, abandoned child. And he died loved and celebrated for his intellect. This message isn't about Isaac Newton. It's about the man who helped him to become who God created him to be. That man didn't just fulfill God's plan for his own life, but he helped Isaac Newton develop his potential too. We all need people to help us reach our potential, and we can be those people to help others reach their potential too. And today we're going to look at the life of King David. This is the same David who killed Goliath as a teenager, and right after that victory, he was brought before King Saul. And he met his soon-to-be best friend. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 18.1. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Jonathan was King Saul's son. So he's basically the prince and heir to the throne. But a few chapters before that, David had actually been anointed the next king, not Jonathan. David was going to be taking the position that was supposed to be Jonathan's. But Jonathan didn't feel jealous or angry or sad. He couldn't deny what God saw in David, and he loved him as his own soul. That's a lot. 
How much do you love yourself? Probably a lot. When you look at a group photo, who do you look at first? I look at me. Who looks at themselves? It's because we love ourselves. Maybe you're thinking, well, I look at my child. Okay, your child is an extension of you. You're still looking at yourself. If you're looking at your spouse, you're still looking at yourself. You're one with them. That's okay. We love ourselves. And that's how Jonathan loved David, like he loved himself. Jesus said the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jonathan loved David the way Jesus said that we should love people. So I love learning from these guys. Let's look at verse 2. Saul took him that day. He took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Okay, so we have David. He's a teenager, and Saul took him. He's like, great job killing Goliath. Now you're never allowed to go home. Like, okay, this is a bad deal. So in verse 1, Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. And in verse 2, Saul took him. David would not have known that Saul was going to keep him there. But I love that God knew, and he met that need that David would have for relationships in verse 1. Before David even had a problem in verse 2. Come on. God meets our needs before we even know we need them. He met David's need with better than what he had in the past, too. So David wasn't allowed to return home. Well, at home, David was kind of the black sheep of the family. When the time came to anoint a king, his dad didn't even bring him to be presented before the prophet. He's like, leave David in the field. He surely can't be the king. It's like, no, he was the king. So he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. He didn't have someone investing in him the way that Jonathan would end up investing in him. When something's taken from you, God always gives you back more than what you lost. Love that about him. And maybe you're like David today, and you didn't have a great relationship with your parents. They didn't teach you the intangible things that kids should learn. God will bring relationships into your life to help you with what you missed. He places the lonely in families. He'll restore what you didn't get to have. Jonathan believed in David so much, he committed his life to him. Verse 3, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And a covenant is an unwavering commitment out of love between two people. Jonathan saw him, and he made a covenant with him. We hear marriage covenants all the time. I love this concept of a friend covenant where you are so committed to someone that you are in a covenant relationship. Jonathan didn't just see his potential like, David, wow, he's really talented with Goliath and all that thing. He's like, he spoke to it. I want to make a covenant with you. And that's point one today. When it comes to meaningful relationships, you need people who speak to your potential. People who speak to your potential. If you think about your life, who speaks over you right now? Who speaks into your life? Who calls the things that aren't as though they are? Who doesn't just see who you are, but acts on it? Who sees who you could be? Who notices you? And who do you see? Who do you speak the truth to? Jonathan approached David. He made the covenant happen. In order to make friends, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. I talk to people sometimes and they say, I don't have any friends. The formula is, be friendly and you'll make friends. You can start by being friendly in church. This is a great place to meet like-minded people. Make a play date with other moms. Go out for wings with the guys. Join a group. Join a team. Talk to someone new at Hope Youth. Invite someone on a date. Don't just wait for that to happen. You invite them. 
After the experience, get a cup of coffee and introduce yourself to someone. Show yourself friendly and you will make friends. Let's continue reading verse 3. It says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David. So he takes off his royal robe and he puts it on David. He gave him royal status so that wherever David went, people would recognize he was accepted by Jonathan, that he was royalty. They would see David, they would see him as the future king. They would see David, he highly favored David. Jonathan here is a picture of Jesus. When we have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says he covers us with a robe of righteousness. He covers all the places that we fall short. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' relationships. He sees royalty. He says, he sees right standing. Come on. He gives us favor that we don't deserve, grace that we didn't earn as sons and daughters of God. Royalty. And next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series. It's called Next Level You. Every level of your life demands a next level you. And it's all about who you are in Jesus. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. And it's about what you have available to you because of him. So we're really excited for that next Sunday. But looking back at Jonathan, so he's covering David with his robe. In order to do that, he had to take it off of himself. And stripping off his, his robe represents trust, openness, vulnerability. And just like David and Jonathan, we need people that we can be vulnerable with. Most of us are afraid of being exposed around other people. We think, well, if they really knew me, I don't know if they would like me, so I don't risk anything. But the thing is, when you're actually open with someone, it gives them an opportunity to empathize with you and connect with you. They won't reject you, they want to connect with you. And being vulnerable doesn't mean being unprotected. God is your protection. He surrounds you. He meets your needs in a way that people cannot. And there will be times when people do hurt you, but those are the exception, not the rule, and God will help you through those times. Don't limit yourself and not have any vulnerable relationships because of a fear of what someone did to you previously. When he's got your back, you don't need to protect yourself, and you can have healthy relationships slowly and intentionally. That means not going out to every person you meet and telling them your whole life story in your first conversation. That's going to be a lot for them. But it means developing a relationship by extending trust little by little. The more real you can be with other people, the more you'll grow and feel secure and supported. Let's look at the rest of that verse. It says, he stripped himself of the robe, gave it to David, and his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. He basically gave him everything, like, here, are your hands full? Let's just give you some more things. So he gave him all those things. And his bow, the word for bow here, is the same word that God used in Genesis when he said, I will put my rainbow in the clouds and make a covenant with people never to flood the earth again. I love that. So bow symbolizes covenant. Just like the rainbow was a sign of God's covenant to us, Jonathan's bow was a sign of his friendship covenant with David. So he had the armor, sword, bow, and belt, all the things that you use for protection. We need re re sorry, relationships with people who know us, and even when they see us at our worst, they protect us. And Jonathan would protect David from King Saul many times. So Jonathan's dad, King Saul, wanted to murder David. And there was this one time when Saul called in Jonathan and all the servants, and he's like, go kill David. And Jonathan's like, that's a bad idea. 
do you not remember how he just saved us from Goliath? Like, the people love him. He saved our whole nation. He's not a threat to you. And Saul listened to Jonathan. Who do you have in your life who speaks to your potential, even when you're not around? And what do you say about other people when they're not around? Do you listen when someone's complaining? Or do you speak truth in love, like we talked about last week, to help their life? Another time, Saul was trying to kill David again. He just didn't learn. And Jonathan dropped everything to go support his friend. Verse 15 says, One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. He encouraged him in his faith. He said, Don't be afraid. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel, and I'll be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. He spoke to his faith, and he spoke to his future. He said, you're going to be king in the future, and I will be by your side. We need people in our lives who help us to stay strong in our faith. Faith comes by hearing, and we need people speaking faith into our lives. And that's the second point today. We need people who speak to our faith. People who speak to our faith. Who helps you find strength in God? Who are the people who don't just encourage you, but they encourage you in what God says and who he says you are? What family members remind you of your future, like Jonathan did here? He's like, David, you're going to be king. Don't get discouraged. I know it doesn't look like it right now. This seems bad, but think about where you're headed, not where you are. And in the future, I will be standing beside you. I'm going to support you. It's going to be okay, and I've got your back. And God is with you, and he is for you. If you think about your life, who are the friends that, when you feel like giving up, are like, do you think God is done with you? Who are the friends that remind you that you will reap a harvest if you don't give up? Who are the friends that, when you're mad and want to give someone a piece of your mind, they say, how's that going to go? Who's the friends who encourage you to forgive? Who are the ones that, when you're hurting, they help you process, they say, I'm so sorry that thing happened to you. And then they remind you that God is near to you. Do you have people who pray with you, who remind you of God's peace in the middle of your storms, when you're facing a diagnosis, or going through job loss or grief? Who do you confide in? When it's hard to remember God's faithfulness, relationships remind us of what God says and who we are. We need relationships to remind us of those things. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And when it's talking about wise here, it's talking about so many forms of wisdom. It's talking about technical skills, administration, shrewd in business, educated, integral, intelligent, wise-hearted. People who are stronger, smarter, have more influence and more experience than you. People who inspire you. That's what Jonathan was to David. And when you surround yourself with wise people, you become like them. I love how Jonathan knew what it was like to be royalty. He knew what it was like to be a, you know, a warrior man out on the battlefield. And David, he grew up as tending to his father's sheep. Jonathan had all the life experience that could help David. If you hang out with people who are wise, you will become like them. I was reading that Thomas Edison, Harry Firestone, and Henry Ford all had summer vacation homes next to each other. They spent their summers together. They didn't just associate with anyone. They associated with other dreamers, other people of vision, and we still recognize their names today. 
You are the average of your five closest relationships. Maybe that's really exciting to you and you're like, oh, my life is going places. Or maybe you're like, I need to make some adjustments in my life. We are who we are because of our relationships. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. I love that. The sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Because sometimes there's a way that seems right to us that is not right, and you need someone's counsel to help you see a better way. In life, you'll face obstacles, mountains, hurdles. You'll get distracted from your dreams. There'll be times when you're tempted to wander off your path, away from your purpose, when you procrastinate, when you'll feel, ah, I just want to be comfortable today. You'll experience seasons where God seems far away. And in those moments, relationships will make all the difference. They'll make your life sweeter, and they make life fun. When Jonathan died, David had this whole big thing that he said to him. So Jonathan was killed in battle. It was very sad. And David said in 2 Samuel 1.26, My dear brother Jonathan, I am crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle wonder, love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hoped to know. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Wow. Talk about a really awesome friendship. Your friendship was a miracle wonder? Wow. More wonderful than the love of women. That's a friendship worth pursuing, and it's available to everyone. I love that David and Jonathan are in this story because it shows that close friendships aren't just for women. We're not talking about Ruth and Naomi here, guys. We're talking about two manly men who are bearing their souls to each other. If David, the man after God's own heart, can have this friendship, then guys, you can too. And don't let things that other people have spoken over you Limit how you think guys can relate. It's available to you too. After Jonathan died and David became king, David had a moment where he chose isolation. And we know from the first verse of today, when you choose isolation, you're going against sound judgment. So everybody is out to battle. The Bible says at the time when kings go to war, David was home taking a nap. And so he woke up from his nap and um, he saw a woman bathing, and he's like, I like that, and he asked his guys, you know, who is she, and he realized, oh, she's married, and he's like, okay, go get her for me, and he slept with her, and then he's like, oh, shoot, this is a problem, she became pregnant, and then he had to deal with her husband, so he had his, her husband murdered in battle, put him at the front of the battle lines, and I believe if Jonathan had been in David's life at this point, this would never have happened. Like, they would have been out on the battlefield together, like, we're at war, let's go. But as it was, David was alone, and he had nobody helping his life. Everyone in his court was probably too afraid to tell him the truth. The guys who went to get Bathsheba, they were probably like, this is a bad idea. She's married, right? Yeah. I don't think we should be doing this. No, me neither. Do you want to tell the king? No, me neither. Okay, let's just go get her. You know, the guys out on the battlefield who are like, honor, integrity, yeah. Oh, we're not just going to let some guy die on our team, out on the field. Do you want to tell David? No, I'm not going to tell him. None of them said anything. So God sent someone to talk to David. He sent the prophet Nathan, who cared enough to help him get back on track. And Nathan told David a story 
about a man with a sheep. He said, King David, there is this man. He's poor, and he has this one little sheep, and he loves his sheep so much. The sheep eats at the dinner table with him like it's the beloved family pet. They have a great relationship. And then there's this other man who has tons of sheep. He doesn't care about any of his sheep. And he has someone come over for dinner who wants to eat some lamb chops. And so he butchers the poor man's sheep that he loves so much instead of taking any of his sheep. And David heard that story and he was so angry. And he said, we need to punish the man who took that poor, sad little lamb from that one man. And Nathan said, you're the man. And David confessed to everything. And even in his failure, God did not reject him. He said, David, there's going to be consequences for the decisions that you make. You can't just steal someone's wife and then kill someone and not have anything happen. And that's why God hates sin. Not because he's a prude, but because sin hurts people. And I love that God still went on to use David. The more successful you are, the more you need relationships in your life. And just like Nathan to David, we all need, come on, yes, we all need people who speak to our blind spots. That's our third point today. People who speak to our blind spots. People who have permission to do that. People who tell you the truth, especially when you don't want to hear it. That's usually when you need to hear it the most. When was the last time someone gave you feedback about a blind spot and you said, you're right, I am that person, like David did? When was the last time you loved someone else enough to give them feedback that would help them? When was the last time you asked someone to hold you accountable? Accountability makes a difference between what you intend to do and what you actually do, who you want to be and who you are right now. And generally, we don't like accountability. We think, I don't want to fail in front of somebody else. If I ask them to hold me accountable, then they'll know if I you know, miss the mark. Or we think, accountability doesn't matter. I don't need that. I'm better than that. Or we think, I, I know the right course. I don't need any help. But accountability helps you stay on track. Like when your car's not working properly and the wheel is kind of cutting to the side, it's out of alignment, and you take it into the shop and they align it for you so it can function at the optimum capacity. It's the same for us. We need accountability to help us stay in alignment. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. Come on, accountability is for your success. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If you fall and there's nobody to help you up spiritually or emotionally or relationally, then you're just stuck. Friendships help us to get back up. They help us to succeed. Verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? The Hebrew here is actually talking about how can one conceive alone? Talking about marriage relationships. How can one birth something alone? You need your spouse. Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Alone, you can be defeated. With one human connection, you can have each other's back and conquer the world together. And any relationship where Jesus is involved 
where he's at the center of both people's lives will last because Jesus holds all things together. A relationship with him makes all our other relationships work better. Come on.